everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Do you know why the Catholic Church has a Pope and we don't? In today's passage, we come across a few verses that are definitely worth discussing, as is all scripture. But the way we read and understand Matthew 16, verses 17 through 19, has huge implications as to how we believe the church should be governed, or said differently, led. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus had been talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. More specifically, he was talking to the disciples about the false things they were saying about who he was. Soon after, Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds by saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's response, it was significant because at this time, people disagreed about who Jesus was. But saying he was the Christ, the son of the living God, that was not the prevailing answer to that question. Think about it. I mean, Herod, he thought Jesus was the resurrected John the Baptist. Few thought he was the Christ. So this moment where Peter put two and two together, it was significant. In Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18, Jesus responds, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, it can be easy to get confused because Jesus doesn't call Peter Peter. He calls him Simon Barjona. Think about that as Peter's full name. It's what Jesus calls Peter whenever he's got something really important to say. Kind of like when a parent calls a kid by their full name, except Peter wasn't in trouble. Just the opposite, actually. Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, Peter, listen up. You are blessed, but not because of anything you've done on your own. God has worked in your heart such that you've been moved to recognize who I really am. That's the idea there. But continuing on in verse 18, Jesus says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And there are three main understandings as to what Jesus meant by this, but for time's sake, we're going to look at two of them. The first viewpoint says that because Peter's name literally meant rock, we are left to assume Jesus was using rock and Peter interchangeably. That view is also supported by the fact that Peter went on to play a key leadership role in the early church. But here's the thing. Jesus, he didn't place Peter in a privileged leadership role amongst the disciples, and the New Testament writers never go out of their way to associate Peter's conversation with Jesus in Matthew 16 to his leadership in the church. So I find the second view to be the most convincing understanding of this verse. This viewpoint says Jesus was referring to himself as the rock. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And to me, it just makes so much sense as the Old Testament prophets equated the Messiah to a stone, namely the cornerstone. There are countless examples of God being described as a rock in the Old Testament. And we have to notice that Jesus says this rock, not this Peter. Jesus's use of the word this makes it more challenging to logically conclude he would have spoken to Peter in the third person when Peter was standing right there. So all that to say, I think by rock, Jesus meant, in a sort of roundabout way, himself. And just as an aside, if you're having trouble tracking, I'd suggest exploring all of the references in the Old Testament where God is referred to as the rock or a rock. Nevertheless, 
Jesus' conversation with Peter continues. As Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's here in verse 19 that we're introduced to another critical key phrase. What are the keys of the kingdom, and why is our understanding of them significant? This is the only place in the whole Bible where we encounter this phrase. But based off of other places where we read the word key in the New Testament and the implications associated with those instances, we're left to conclude, as one commentator says, that the keys represent at the least the authority to preach the gospel. But because the plural keys, not key, is used in Matthew 16, we're left to assume that Jesus isn't giving Peter one thing, but multiple. And based off some parallels in Matthew 18, Jesus is probably giving Peter the authority to exercise discipline within the church. It's important to note, however, that Jesus does not say whether or not this authority will be given to others apart from Peter as the church grows. And that's where we run into the trickiness of this passage. You go back in time, say, approximately 250-ish years after Christ's resurrection— church has been growing, leaders have come and gone, and the dominance of major cities was ever-evolving. And at this point, you've got several major cities. The head bishops, that's the major church leaders, at two of these cities often found themselves in disagreements regarding what we today call communion. How should it be taken? Who sets the standard for how churches practice it? And who should lead? The bishops in Carthage and Rome, leaders of larger churches and big cities uniquely disagreed with one another. And this is a history lesson, because you know what? Both bishops appealed to Matthew 16 to justify their case. The Roman bishop, he looked at Matthew 16 and said, yeah, Jesus picked Peter to lead, and that leadership should be passed down to all his successors, the head spiritual leader in the Church of Rome. Whereas the bishop from Carthage refused to submit to the leadership in Rome. He believed that the unity of the church was founded on the equality of bishops all around the world. No one was more special, per se. In his eyes, in mine today, that's what makes a local church a local church. But it's also what makes the capital C church, the big C church, a bunch of locations scattered across the globe coming together under one head, Christ. And as history unfolded, We saw cities grow as leaders came and went, and ultimately the term Pope began to describe the bishop in Rome around the year 600. I want to be clear, however, the disagreement I just talked about, it gives you an incredibly brief glimpse into what was going on at that time. Ultimately, church leaders disagreed about a lot of things. They disagreed as to what was the ultimate source of authority. Was it tradition? This is how we've always done it. Or scripture, this is what the Bible explicitly says. When it came to solving disagreements, leaders had to decide if they were going to try to make scripture support their traditions or honestly evaluate if their traditions appropriately submitted to scripture. But what does this mean for us? What's most important for all believers everywhere isn't what we think about the Pope. What's actually most important is how we answer Jesus's question to Peter. Who do you say Jesus is? For years, believers have disagreed about what this rock and the keys mean. What's important, though, is that all people come to know Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
So I don't know what you think about Matthew 16, but I'm grateful we can unite around who Christ is. And I'm so glad we're on this journey together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.